Merhabalar ve hoş geldiniz to the Formula One Jackass podcast. As always, my name is Ryan, and joining me as always is my good dostum, Christopher here. And yeah, we are speaking to you. What is it? A week after the Turkish Grand Prix. Now we've been a bit delayed. Sorry about that. It was a really good race, regardless, and jump into it. So, 2021, and we've gone back to Turkey. Turkey being one of the replacement tracks uh, this year for the Japanese Grand Prix, which was supposed to be held over the weekend but was cancelled due to COVID, which understandably so. Uh, and I think everyone in Japan fully agreed with it as well. Uh, the fact that they had the the Olympic Games over the summer uh, was very very questionable from from everyone throughout. So understandably, the Japanese Grand Prix got cancelled, and we went to Turkey instead. Turkey being a replacement. Uh, race last year in 2020 due to COVID, but uh, really excited that uh, it, it made it back onto the onto the calendar this year, because in in my opinion it is one of the tracks, uh, especially the Tioka design tracks, that is actually one of my one of my favorites uh, from him. So, uh, what are your memories from from the Turkish Grand Prix from the yeah. from Istanbul Park? Same man, it just like. Going back to this track again this year, like last year, it was a bit, you know, it was a bit off because the tarmac wasn't proper. It was very greasy. There was not a lot of grip. But this year we saw the track as how I remember it. And man, I miss it. Like, I wish this track should, this should, track should be on the calendar normally, I think. And of course, we didn't go to Suzuka this year. We got a beautiful Red Bull livery, a tribute to Japan and Honda with the Arigato on the rear wing. And I thought that was such a, such a nice touch. And that would have been amazing in Japan, of course. But... We got to race in Turkey instead, and I'm not complaining because yeah, we had a really good race, and this track is demanding. Like, even in these But cars, you know. You know what it is because of these cars. I think it looked too easy, so it's like these cars were are, are so optimal in in downforce levels that they produce and such that it's a bit too easy. Like the challenge is sort of taken out of it. Whereas when we first went there in 2005, I believe it was. You saw them so twitchy, and the turn eight, you know, it wasn't flat. There was the lift. It's like who has the biggest cojones has the smallest lift, but there was a definite lift before turn eight. Yeah. Then we went into I think like 2009. I think even with those cars with the double diffusers, boom, flat. But it yeah. was still a challenge. Not every car on the grid could take that flat. It was only Absolutely. I think the the bronze and the red bulls. But then fast forward, and then 2011 being the last race in Turkey before it returned on the calendar last year. Of course, last year's race because of the track conditions, it wasn't a very representative race. But this time in free practice, they were setting track records because perhaps you know with these cars streamlined and everything, this track perhaps is just you know the the true challenge is taken away. Yeah, I Does agree. I agree sense? to a certain extent. It's really tough on tires now. So, you know, you got to have a lot of tire management, which is, I mean, it's a skill, but it's not the same as, you know, having to balance the car through turn eight, you know, know exactly how much throttle you can apply. But just got to take the hat off to current F1 technology, you know. And I think with the next year's regulation, even with the ground effect, it'll still probably be easy flat, but it still is a challenging track because. The section leading up to it, you know, you have some off-camber corners, and we saw in the wet like how many different lines there are, and it just goes to show that a really good driver will excel here. And we saw it last year with Hamilton; he clinched the title, um, as you rightly <laughs> reminded me of, in Turkey last year, and that was a phenomenal drive. 
and that's what you kind of see on this track you know you see the really good drivers excel and i felt like throughout the race oh yeah we watched it together actually there was a lot to keep track of like lots of things happening even though it might, might not have been the most exciting race of the calendar had this race been in any other season in the past five years this would have been one of the absolute good races you know it's so yeah i think i think turkey are getting more interested in the idea of perhaps hosting the race as well like why why wouldn't they they have an amazing track and sure the traffic is a bit tough getting into the track but why not i think it's 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 wasted if f1 doesn't go there well it's actually not on the calendar next year uh, yeah. 2022 uh the calendar has been released and it's jam-packed um welcoming back hopefully we're going to go to every country next year mm-hmm. uh, where restrictions are lifted and covid is not hopefully not going to be a thing anymore in 2022 but uh I'm, I'm looking forward to returning to places we haven't been now in two years uh australia yeah. uh th- australia's three years now because we it's actually so went there yeah. in 2020 um and everyone arrived and on the thursday the grand prix was cancelled because they had a couple of cases of covid uh in in the paddock so you know looking forward to go back to australia china as well Um, no china is off the calendar sorry it's um it's just been announced china is not gonna be on the calendar next year fair but a new track in uh, miami if uh we're going to go there yeah and uh for the rest it looks you know pretty traditional uh, apart from the fact that we haven't even talked about Qatar, actually. Yeah, the Los Ailes track. Like, you would know that track better because you watched a lot of MotoGP, I, I'd assume. I've never seen a car on it. I know that GP2 Asia series raced there yeah. so many years ago. Yeah. But uh, as as a MotoGP track, I know it well. For Formula One, like, do you mind? I can't really picture it. Um, I'm gonna have a lap in it in a sim later today just to see how it is because from the on, on track I mean on paper it kind of looks like it would have lots of flowing corners hard overtaking it's very difficult to overtake a little bit of stop start areas but um, yeah I think it's all about rhythm like you can kind of sense it why it's a good motorcycle track you know precisely lean that, left yes. lean right precisely you know, that that kind of rhythm but uh, yeah it will be interesting to see um, uh, yeah on the calendar for this year next year not. But then Qatar has a 10-year contract. They're going to build a new track um, yeah, using insane. all the, the development. Of course, the World Cup is going to be there uh, that year as well. Uh, next year, rather. So that's why they're taking a break. But they're going to use Los Angeles this year. And they're going to build a new Formula 1 track um, uh, in, the, in the coming years. So that by 2023, we're going to return to Qatar. There'll be four Grand Prix tracks in the Middle East. We'll have Bahrain, we'll have Saudi Arabia, we'll have uh, the United Arab Emirates, and then Qatar as well. That's insane. It's, you know, where the money comes from at the moment. Yeah. We're, we're, we're talking a lot about diversity, about we race as one. Um, yet, if we do look at the calendar, it's going the complete opposite direction. You know, yeah. it's, uh, I, mean, I do want to talk about sports washing. Which essentially, for those who don't know, it is when uh, you know a country who is in the spotlight because of a multiple of a platitude of things, you know, including human rights violations and such, where they want to project an image to the rest of the world to sort of, you know, draw attention away from the serious matters, which you know in each of these countries is still an everyday thing, and by attracting these large sporting events, which of course 
millions of viewers would see and they only show the newly built circuits and the the pristine high-tech modern image of the of the country of what they want people to be drawn to and thereby sort of forgetting everything else whereas you know in this modern day formula one where sustainability and equality is as at the top of the agenda um they sort of you know look the other way when it comes to other things much like every year in monaco you know the safety regulations just look the other way because it's monaco and i'm afraid they're going to apply the same principle to to all these new races where it's like yes it's important apart from where we're in these countries and then for that weekend we look the other way yeah so when it comes to sports washing a good example would be gasprom for instance if mm -hmm. if you guys don't know it's a big natural gas and you know energy uh, company in russia and they got into a lot in football in the uk and now they're featured everywhere and in germany and, yeah, yeah and in germany and they're they're big and to play devil's advocate here or not to play devil's advocate but to kind of also give the other side of why you would want to go to countries that are a bit controversial to host sporting events it is also to open up this diplomatic road to show the rest of the world that look it's not so black and white we're not just all against each other we can also come together and you know that can sport can bind us together and that's why in a world championship this should be a race in the middle east absolutely that makes sense but now with having four races in the Middle East with Saudi Aramco, which is also a very controversial company, mm -hmm. being privatized and now being in F1 all over the place, it doesn't look good for F1 when it is all about sustainability. And then we're going to these countries where it's all about oil, right? That's where a lot of the money comes from. And that's where, you know, F1 is trying to stray away from. Yet we're kind of rewarding this by going to these countries and just, yeah, we, I don't know, it, it doesn't make sense. I think you, you spoke about diversity and it's great that we have more races outside of Europe because that was much needed in F1. F1 was very, very much and is still a very exclusive kind of sport. And we should go to the rest of the world to bring F1 there to see, you know, to give people a chance to also enjoy F1 and, you know, maybe become drivers one day or part of a team or create team. You know, we saw it with like Force India and India as well. We had the Indian Grand Prix. That was a really good example of it. But you know we shouldn't go overboard and just yeah think about the money and think about where f1 can make the best deal and one other thing is also the amount of races like we shouldn't have that many races because it's clearly not good for the teams and you know some some team members have come out and said that if you can't handle that you shouldn't be in f1 but that's absolutely wrong there are certain things in life that are more important than just sport and f1 and money and um yeah i think f1 is maybe perhaps trying to do too much at the moment when it comes to that absolutely and especially like i, I caught that interview as well where it was actually one of the team principals uh saying that if if his staff has a problem with so many races on the calendar they would have to think whether formula one or this team is the place for them whereas other teams such as aston martin for example or mclaren they are really in tune with their employees needs and recognize mm -hmm. that perhaps there is a rotation system needed so that you know people don't get burned out because let me tell you the um, yes formula one has changed but it's been the same ever since so coming on to this year next year we're going to have a lot of races so it's going to be a lot of traveling but beforehand we didn't have so many races but we did mm -hmm. have a lot of testing True. in season so if they weren't racing they were testing so yes the constraints on that 
um, is 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 quite large. However, I don't think you can you can take a testing session somewhere in Europe, for example, as a, a triple header flyaway race. You exactly. Know? And we have to remember that it's not just 20 drivers and 20 team principals that make up Formula One. No, every car at every pit stop, they have three guys per wheel, you know, changing the tires. They have uh, front jackmen, rear jackmen. And that's just the people working on the car during a pit stop. So many more in the garage, so many more behind the scenes, in the kitchens, in the press offices. So and all of these people world have families as well you know they have birthdays they're going to like uh, like going to miss so when the summer break was introduced it was a fantastic time for people to just go home and such Absolutely. but now you know yes there's going to be more races more entertainment but we have to remember that it's it's also it's not just the 20 drivers on track yep there's an entire community around that um which even for the presenters, we see that when, when we watch it, um, depending, of course, where you watch it from, um, depending how big the team is, if they're able to rotate their their commentators, their, uh, their presenters and such, which, you know, in other countries, they only have one commentator and one pit reporter. So, and they go to every race. So it's, it's yeah, you have to think about that. Finding finding the right balance, I think, is a, is a work in progress for yes. Formula 1. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just hope that they will listen to it because it's not just the people working at home. It is also the fans like us that think, you know, we don't want to necessarily miss that many weekends because I love following F1 and I love watching every single minute of it. But it stresses me out if I can't go to a race, if I'm missing a race. And yeah, and I feel especially now with that many races, that's going to be a bit of an occurrence. And I have myself to blame. I can just not watch F1. But then if I stop watching F1, I would lose interest in it. And if I know I'm going to miss a couple of races and can't follow it properly, then I won't follow it properly. I want to follow it mm-hmm. like properly. But, you know, I think it's a bit too much of a, of a good thing. Um, but, you yeah, know, let's... I don't think we've, we've spoken about this, um, but definitely not on the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's, I have not necessarily an issue with so many races. But essentially, it dilutes the statistics. And way, yeah. Formula One fans are statistic junkies. They they love their stats. Almost and, like baseball. Yeah, and it's it's essentially, yes, drivers are going to win more races because there are more races on the calendar. And previous champions, let's take the generation of Michael Schumacher, Alain Prost. Jim Clark um, is a good Jim, example. Precisely, where in that calendar, in the when Formula One first started, they had maybe five races in the season. Yeah. Then it went up to 10. And then, you know, during the 2000s, we had maybe 15 races uh, in a season. And suddenly, you know, we're pushing to 23, 25 races where, yes, it's, you know, for a rookie coming in next year, we have 25 races. It takes four seasons for them to get 100 Grand Prix. Whereas before, that was such an achievement. That's such an achievement. And as well, like these, these, these wins for Lewis Hamilton, of course, fully deserved. Sometimes some luck involved, but he has skill. But with more races per season, yes, the the tally just keeps adding and keeps adding because there are so many races. Not taking away from the fact that there are amazing achievements, but you know, in Formula One, we tend to always want to compare to something: seven world championships, seven world championships. You know, a hundred Grand Prix wins versus ninety-one. But those ninety-one races were achieved when the calendar was just so much shorter, which yeah. you know dilutes and even the amount of points on offer yeah. nowadays. Like you cannot. 
you cannot make a direct comparison but you never really could drivers. in f1 to be fair because f1 that evolves so quickly compared to other sports and i get what you're saying that the stats get diluted and i also think you know maybe it's not like you you can't really compare to the past and having more races in the season compared to you know in the mid 2000s it's not that big of a difference but i just think I don't know. It it is it is too much too soon to just go all out and have twenty five races. I know F one is a massive growing phase right now, but yeah, I don't think it dilute the races. But I don't remember the races as as well. I don't remember the seasons as well because there's so many races to go through, and that's just that's also my fault to be honest. But uh, <laughs> no, yeah. but precisely that it's the personal aspect of it. Whereas when the calendar was a bit shorter, you know. Once you had that fortnight, once you had that three weeks and the race was on, you get excited. Like, yes, yes it's back, exactly. it's back. And sometimes during these, you know, triple headers, you're just like whew, exhausted at the I end. I agree. Because yeah. you've like, you know, you've had enough Formula One because you've, you know, how we watch it, uh, people at home is like we watch FP1, FP2, FP3. Mm-hmm. And this is just Formula One. If mm-hmm. Formula Two is on the calendar, we tend to watch qualifying and the race Absolutely, from there. Absolutely, man. Yeah. So... You know, at the end, you've done three weekends from Friday to Sunday, one stretch, three weekends in a row. Cause, yeah. And after that, you're completely... And this is me on the couch watching it on my television, let alone the mechanics who have to travel and stay up, exactly. repair cars and, and have to fight with jet lag yeah. and stuff. I'm planning my holidays around F1. Like I was literally just thinking like, oh, I need to land at this time at this airport. Then I have enough time to get there so I can watch the race. And I was just thinking, like, this is so sad because I'm going here for just a week. I was going back home to Denmark. But, I, you know, just because I'm such a big fan and I can't let that go, I, I still, you know, and it's, it's a bit of a shame that you have to plan that, that, like that. And exactly like you said, the triple headers, the, the last race in the triple header is just not as, you don't look as much forward to it and you can't take in as much information, you know. There's not so much... Yeah, it's it's a bit of a shame. And like you said, when there's been two weeks or three weeks break and F1 is back, like that, you know, it's starting to get itchy, you know, oh, I can't wait. And then you watch FP1 and you're such intense because like, you know, it's back. And um, I think maybe we should cherish that a bit more in F1, that they should try and go for that approach. And I think 20 is a very nice round number. And maybe that would be perfect amount of races to have in a year. Yeah, still it can can still be tight. The thing I do enjoy about next year is that we're not going to have a very late end to the season. Uh, they're planning a a November Good. finish as opposed to it was to weird a, watching F one in December. Precisely. <laughs> the, the One Abu thing Dhabi that did December, make it right? is that it did make the winter break shorter. Um, but yes. then again, not a lot happened in the winter break because beforehand they had a lot of testing during the winter as well. So yeah. we got our fix that way. Um, but yeah, for sure, this whole calendar business, a work in progress. I actually have like, I know I love that F1 has seasons, you know, it's like 2020 season, 2021 season. But in football, they play over the winter, right? As long as I'm, they as do. far as I'm aware. It kind of also makes sense for F1 to do that. I, I kind I hope they don't purely for stat keeping, but imagine like the summer, everyone could go out and enjoy the summer, everyone that's based in Europe. And then in the winter, you know, you can focus more on F1. Like you can have a break in December perhaps, but then go to warmer countries and race F1. Well, you know why I would have issue with that is when you start the season in one calendar year and finish the season yeah, in another no, exactly. calendar year. I hate that. It's I like that. you don't know, yeah. like, okay, are you 2020 or 2021 champion? Yeah. You, know? you know what? We should just make a new calendar. Like not F1 calendar, but calendar calendar so we can have that. 
Okay. Year one is 1950 because that's when F1 started. <laughs> yeah. And the months, still the same amount of months, or they should be named after to... the champions, just like the months are named after Roman emperors, like July and August. Like so, uh, you can have it's Schumacher month, Senna, um, and then you know the winter is the is the summer basically. Right. So the year starts in in August. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, if Bernie was still here, every month would be named after him. So that's true. Yeah. So, anyways, let's go anyway. back to Turkey. Yeah, and it was it was an exciting race, mm -hmm. you know, and um, wet as well, drying conditions. Russell it, it was, was an amazing qualifying lap that didn't get. Oh, that was a shame. That was really a shame. But uh, yeah, let's let's start with qualifying because that was quite uh, interesting as well. Mm -hmm. Of course, big headlines: Lewis Hamilton taking the engine change, having yeah. a, a ten place grid penalty, just changing the engine and not the other components, uh, much like. Um, um, Max Verstappen did in Russia where he changed all of the engine or rather the, the power unit um, Lewis Hamilton just just taking the engine change like Valtteri Bottas did twice now uh, mm -hmm. both in Monza and in uh, I think yeah and it, yeah, it made sense in, not to start at the way back at a race like this you know correct but standout performance in qualifying for me uh, I think you know, it was good seeing um, Yuki back in the top three. Uh, and that turned out to be quite significant in the starting phase of the race, which we'll get to yes. one later. True. Um, Fernando Alonso, Absolutely. Uh, you know, he was up there. And in fact, we, we watched the race together. Mm -hmm. And I told you, you know, expect yeah. fireworks for better or for worse. Yes. And watch I was Fernando. literally just picturing him spinning. And I was like, yeah, yeah. for sure that will happen. Yeah. It literally did. And that, then Gasly got a penalty. That was weird. That was weird. Because that was weird. Alonso complained a lot recently. Um, for, for Some of these points have, have made a lot of sense. Um, but I think, was it Jordan Palmer had a rant on a BBC radio or something like that. I just read some comments about it where he went into a rant about Alonso never getting penalties and how Alonso would always push people wide and never get a penalty for it. So he's like, stop whining, man, because you're the one that gets away scot-free. And in this case, I feel like it was, it was just a racing incident. Like it's the first lap, and Absolutely. Fernando he knew what to expect when you're going outside there. He Absolutely. could have gone, he couldn't have gone wider, but these things happen, you know. Um, but Gasly got the penalty, and that was a shame because he could have done more in that race. Um, Gasly was really on it. I think he was just yeah, very yeah. overshadowed by other events that happened on track. But yeah, it was strange because if you look at it, um, yeah, he had a car on the inside. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was fast steaming. I think it was Perez in the in the Red Bull. It's not like he was completely sandwiched, nowhere to go. But you know, it's turn one, lap one. Come on, yeah. you know, it's like and they place the blame fully on him, like he made a mistake, whereas yeah. he didn't outbreak himself. He didn't no. make any jerks of not the steering wheel. No, it's you know Fernando taking, knowing he's going to take the risk on the outside. They came together. It happens. It was a racing incident. Yeah. Move on. And that so, turn one is also like it, the, the outside on the right side, it's wide and then it just narrows down into a funnel, you know, a little bit like in Brazil. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, 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 these kind of accidents are bound to happen in turn one in Turkey. So it, it was yeah. weird. He shouldn't have gotten a penalty. Yeah. But uh, Fernando, you know, touching, spinning, um, it was, I said, like my prediction was either he's going to finish on the podium or he's going to go on, on lap one. And... Fernando Alonso ended up having two incidents yeah. on lap one, or actually not lap one, but 
the lap after that, trying to make his way back to the field. Touch with Mick Schumacher, which was a shame because he qualified very, very well. Yeah. If you he made make it into Q Q uh, Q two, very, very unfortunate that uh, he couldn't improve his lap um, in in Q two. You know, had the pace to make yeah. it to Q three. He was very close, but he, I think it was, was a yellow flag, yeah. or uh, he had to back off. I had to board his his lap. Um, during uh during his last run so wasn't able to make it but still yeah, he was like three seconds quicker started than well, started well yeah. got tagged by alonso and dropped back behind his teammate um like every race actually mick qualifies well has a horrible start ends up the end of lap one behind his teammate yeah but then manages to finish at least a minute ahead uh, at the end of the race on his yeah. teammate so that's very it's very impressive um but yeah, I think Alonso this race, just to go back to talk about, he 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 was overly aggressive. He had something to prove. And it was like, I was reminded his last race in um, before he retired in 2018 uh, in Abu Dhabi, where he just cut the chicanes and just got penalties, you know. I think he, he needs to calm down a little bit. It's good to or see rather, all this passion. He has, he has a point to prove as well. He, exactly. You know, he, has, he has a chip on his shoulder at the moment. But he's a bit F1 Karen at the moment as well. You know what I mean? Like just Not just, necessarily. I, no, because no, no, I don't no, think... Because I agree with what he's saying. Like I have yeah. to say, I agree yeah. with what he's saying. But um, And in the beginning, he was doing it well. But now I think it's just a bit more of just, you know... You don't have to to prove that much on track when it comes the, to these the, things. The, no, not just on track, but the thing is, is that everything he does is planned. There is no randomness to anything he does. So if he does something this week, it's because he wants people to talk about exactly that the next week, just to prove his point. Yes. So the intelligence is there. Sometimes, you know, he can get a bit carried away in his intelligence. Like sometimes he's just too smart for his own good also called arrogant but yes no no because that it's it's not arrogance because arrogance would it's the same sort of arrogance that every other f1 champion has and i will call it arrogance shumi had it senna had it i also have it and they have they, they have a right to have it but it, it it is it is a bit like you know anyways a prove the man wrong and that. you can't prove the man wrong and you can't that's true right uh so um yeah it's unfortunate um, but yeah, again, lap one, he is always one of the ones to watch, but going back to Yuki and the importance of him, you know, making Q3 because he hasn't made it in, in quite a few races, this one was solid. Uh, and in the opening laps, he was the one that was feisty with Hamilton. You know, I think, uh, it was up to eight laps that he kept them behind. If you compare him to all the others, Lando Norris, uh, um, Pierre Gasly, even they got by quite, quite fast. Yeah. Um, of course, different track conditions by the time he, he was there. But on the track conditions at the beginning of the race, they were tricky. And I think Yuki did very, very well keeping Hamilton's back for so long. He was the longest, uh, apart from, of course, Bettas had a major battle, which we'll talk about later. But um, I think he did well. And it's just unfortunate Absolutely. that he spun. And yeah. he, he blames himself first and foremost, but also the conditions. The spray was one thing. Where much like in Belgium, visibility was quite poor because of the spray. Yeah. But the drivers complained that there was sort of an oily substance as well in the water because of the track or something like that. When that was sprayed up by the cars, it made visibility even worse and yeah. even stuck to their helmets. So he couldn't judge the distance between himself and the car behind 
at, at one point pushed too much spun and unfortunately that was his um point uh paying positions over for him yeah managed to finish the race but i think uh you know it would have been good on him to to finish this race in the points probably one of his better races this season to be honest like you you saw some proper talent and driving action there against hamilton as well and at the end of course hamilton got by but he did so that did what he was supposed to do in that situation you know no, and, and hamilton no, had to adjust he had to pick a place yeah, where absolutely. he wasn't expected he was huge risk yeah. huge risk as well because with with you know with the rookie because that's what he still is yeah going into that you can for hamilton knowing that he couldn't do it at the usual places he had to pick another place which is intelligence yeah then again there's risk involved in that as well because if he dives, dives down there you cannot expecting it we can have a crash absolutely but it was like Lewis was trying out different lines each time. And then once it got past, you could just see he had so much speed. So he was mm -hmm. just, he was using the time behind Yuki in a smart way. Also just to testing out the grip to line up a proper move. And that's what also separates him from, you know, the likes of someone like a, a rookie like Yuki. But uh, yeah, it, it was, it was, it was good, good driven by Yuki. I was very glad to see that. Um, can I just talk about a thing that isn't F1 for one second? Apropos potential team orders here, because... Here, the AlphaTauri team was maybe told to hold up Hamilton as much as they could, which makes sense because they're under the same which team. Which makes sense, yeah. And, uh, yeah. No, I mean, was... Yuki himself, Yuki himself came out openly and said, I want Max to win because, you know, it's the last year of uh, Honda in Formula 1. Yeah. And it's Red Bull. Yeah. So, yeah. It, of course, it, it, it makes sense. But then we saw the extreme case of that in the DTM uh, season finale this weekend. So... Is it okay if we just talk about this? Because I think it's it's very interesting. Uh, you know what? what I've happened. been dying to talk about this for like days. Only okay. you have caught off yeah, in yeah, the last exactly. day. Let's, let's talk about like it. That. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So to provide a bit of context, the DTM is a um, GT3 racing series nowadays. It yeah. used to be hugely popular with the German um, manufacturers. You had Deutsche BMW, yeah. Mercedes and Audi represented. This year, uh, the factory support of that series um, was stopped. So they came up with a new series and uh, we had a lot more manufacturers joining with our GC3 cars, including Ferrari uh, with the IF Corsa team. We had a youngster, uh, in the a Red Bull youngster, Liam Lawson, driving this year, also driving Formula 2, leading the championship all the way up until the final race. Uh, his main rival, uh, Kelvin van der Linde driving for Audi, um, also in contention for the championship. But by the end of the race, the person that was 19 points behind in third position ended up winning the championship. Yeah. And that was because lap one, huge crash between van der Linden and Liam Lawson, which is not the first time. It mm -hmm. happened in the first race at the same track as well. It happened at a couple of races. In fact, they've touched together five times over the course of the season. Both of them have been so aggressive against each other. Um, yeah. Both youngsters having something to prove. But what... So Liam Lawson had enough of a gap that he didn't necessarily need it to finish in the points to win. Yep. And at, you know, up until a couple of laps before the end, that was the case. Until, like you said team yeah. orders came into play and mercedes snapped their uh, fingers and the person leading the race slowed down significantly the, the the first two people slowed down significantly letting their 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 man in you know the mercedes man through different teams 
by the way, different teams, yep. but using Mercedes machinery. And so they, you know, controlled the race so that their man won not only the race, but also walked away with the championship. Yeah. And more so than that, the, the, there was a Ferrari on track as well um, that was trying to help out. And it was cars fighting each other on track to not and blocking each him other in. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just like, what is this? Like, because when I was watching the race, I, I kind of knew who the champion was. I was spoiled because I read the news, but I really wanted to watch the race and I didn't know anything what had happened. So up until the last laps, I was like, okay, so Goetz is in third now or something. What, well, what's going to happen in the last couple of Something crazy exciting is going to happen. He's going to be champion. And then I saw what happened and I was like, that can't be right. Like that is so insane. And they were boxing the cars off. They were blocking each other. They were slowing down to let him by. And that was it. It was just fizzled out. Um, and of course, this had happened in DTM before when it was, you know, more of a manufacturers, you know, the big German car manufacturers against each other. But this just did not feel right. And imagine being at the track as a fan and you paid your hard earned yeah. money for a ticket. Yeah. Uh, imagine the taste in your mouth leaving the track. Isn't after it a that bit race. fixing? Like if you had put money on it, like. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't absolutely. It, there's something here that's just like. It does not up. So I will not be watching DTM anymore. Like, even though it was exciting this year, there was lots of good racing. But simply for the fact that it's not it's not DTM anymore and this kind of thing, I they they, they need to they need to wake up. Like it's not a series that can be top level of Germany now if, if these kind of things happen. It's yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, Gerhard Berger, if you're listening, you know, yeah. we love you. We love DTM. We don't love this. Was it's know, it's up to you. It's up to you to win us back. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyways, going back to Turkey, man, because yeah. uh, we have to have this out. Um, yeah, another, I think, result-wise, the Mercedes was just untouchable this weekend, both yeah. in uh, Bottas's hands and uh, Lewis Hamilton. We haven't pace. even spoken about Bottas, he, and he's the winner of the race. Like, he is, yes. Which, it is, it's his first win this year, and like, fair play, he did an amazing race. But it was such a race that he was just in front kind of controlling. There was a bit of issue with Leclerc, but didn't really pan out. And Hamilton was just on another level at this track. Like there was, mm -hmm. yeah, it was it was his weekend. No other driver could get anywhere close to what Lewis was doing in, in terms of lap time, how he was managing the car, managing the race. And it even looked like Lewis had more to give. Like he wasn't even giving it his fullest, I feel. I, maybe only at the last part of the race. But yeah, absolutely impressive display from him. And yeah, really happy for Valtteri. Mm -hmm. Hearing the Finnish anthem again made me very, very happy. So uh, yeah, he seems to have found something in him. It's uh, the... Jean-Éric Verne factor. You yes, know, lose your seat, you drive better. Yeah. And over the last couple of races, you know, when when the rope of the luck was on him, you know, he's, he's been driving very well. He's the one who's gained back. the most points in the last three races or something, more than anyone else. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, Turkey was a, f you know, no, not Turkey, Russia, he came in at the wrong time because he was the guinea pig to see yeah. if the inters were, were good for his teammates. But uh, the race in, um, in Monza, you know, just before that race, we talked about, you know, show me a race where he went through the field. Yeah. And then the exact race after that, it was that. Bottas so was like, yeah, understood. We had egg on our face. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this race as well, he was just untouchable. And yeah. yes, I question whether, you know, from the Red Bulls, especially from Max Verstappen, did he even attempt? Did he even attempt it? Uh, or was he just happy and cozy knowing that the car maybe didn't have the performance to match the uh, Mercedes, you know, to 
put yourself at risk to try to battle Bottas, who has nothing to lose and yeah. wants this race victory. Um, yeah, they, they, I think Red Bull didn't bother. Uh, hard rather, to say, it's say, hard to say, bother. but I, I, I do agree because there was not much to be won from then. Um, let's say they, they pushed all the engine modes up to 11. Or I know they I know they don't have engine modes, but of course they can get more performance out of the engine if they want. And they could maybe have challenged a bit more. I still think they would not have been able to win. So why fight it? It's a bit unfortunate, but it's a smart move. Um, but from the constructor's point of view, you know, that's not the championship that they're that interested in Red Bull uh, compared to maybe Mercedes, but then it's a, it's a bit of a loss, you know? They could fight for that, but um, yeah. Well, I think it's status quo. One significant thing was that we had uh, uh, two Red Bulls on the podium this time, mm -hmm. and uh, this one was, was well-deserved. I think Perez, he fought for this one. He did. And his, his battle with Hamilton was, was spectacular. Yeah. It was, you know, it's those kind of battles that, it seemed like two legends battling you know it was it was proper heated they were they were not giving that much space to each other taking many different lines and it was a bit wet so yeah one thing i have nice. to say though is during the heat of that battle the commentators this race on sky were david croft and jensen button actually mm -hmm. and i have to give a shout out to jb because he is the one like he lives in america nowadays you know he can do what he wants he's a team owner and in, in uh, extreme e and such still loves the sport he's involved with williams but he is one person that is not afraid to just say what he wants you know he has to, to tell the truth and yeah. and not really so we've talked about bias in the media before but especially during that that hamilton Perez battle david croft said you know oh you know did Perez give Hamilton enough room? Which like, and then Jensen immediately said, "Well, I think it's the other way around. Did Hamilton give Perez enough room?" Yeah. Um, but instantly, that was just like that shows to me the biasy, yeah. and shows to me how great Jensen Button is because is. as well in Silverstone he was there. He was the only one out of all the presenters to say, "Well, actually, it's it's a bit more than just blaming one driver," um, which. That's that's what we need. He's, he reminds me a bit of James Hunt in commentary. You know. You know. Yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah, that's very. That's a very good point. And like, he's very laid back. So even when he's commentating, like he'll just be having fun and just chilling. And I don't know. It's it's a good vibe so far. Like I really like. And his some of his analysis, like together with Anthony Davidson, was really interesting. And they were talking a bit about the time in karting and yeah, yeah, in F one together. They go just a little way, bit. way back. Yeah, and just hinting I, towards it. One of those. One of the periods of Formula One that fascinates me is actually BA or Honda mm -hmm. with Anthony Davidson as yes. a test driver. The stuff they did. The, remember, the engine man. is still one of my favorite engines in Formula mm -hmm. One. The sound and the speed. They had budget. They had a lot of budget. And they went, you know, they finished second in the constructors. 2004, um, yeah. Um, against the mighty Ferrari. So. Yep. That is one area of, of, or rather, one era of Formula One that we still don't know a lot about. True. But I'm, and I'm Anthony, he was just always quickest in practice sessions. And we were all yeah. thinking, like, whoa, this dude, he can drive. And I remember my cousin, who was not really into F1, but, you know, he was like, who is this Anthony Davidson guy, you know? And then, of course, he went to Super Aguri and also had some good drives. But it was, yeah, yeah it was really, it was, there was so much mystery around that team because Button was quick in qualifying as well. Mm -hmm. and, and Takuma also, like, sometimes had some amazing drives and amazing qualifying sessions. So, yeah. Yeah, for yeah. me, that was, a, that was a good time in F1, man. Just when I got into it.
Cool. Let's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe we've, we've spoken about a lot, but mm-hmm. not much about the race. No. But essentially, that was it's it. Okay. A few things I want to point out. Uh, good race from Ferrari, actually. Charles Leclerc yeah. being up there with the engine change. Uh, Carlos Sainz, to me, Driver as well. Driver of the Driver day. Driver of the day. Finally. Coming through. Uh, very impressive. Um, Danny Rick, big dick Rick, uh, not so big in this race, but hopefully, uh, but the McLarens in general, just nowhere near the pace they usually yeah. had. And that you can tell that from Lando Norris, he was just overtaken too easily. Uh, and he, and he's good in the wet. So he is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an odd car that like there's tracks where it just excels and others where it doesn't. Um, yeah, absolutely. So final things from you. Next race is Austin. Austin. Yeah. No, that's a that's a cool track. Um, I don't like driving it, but it has some good racing. Um, and it we it's we haven't been to America in a while as well, no. Like you were. Well, we last haven't year. been last year, correct? Right. So yeah, no, that'll be good to to go back to the states. I think F one is growing there. Um, I, I hear a lot of young people in America now getting into it thanks to Netflix, of course. Yeah. So I think it'll be good for F one to go back to America to you know get that more exposure and yeah see how the vibe is there I, I do like that it's very unique the race in Austin it is very American and it was for new. sure uh, interestingly though I commented on this uh, the track in Istanbul and the track in Austin yeah. are almost carbon copies of yeah the, they're uh, very similar each other. Yeah. very similar but I think we can see some difference even in performance so that mm-hmm. um, it doesn't necessarily mean that the cars who who did well or who struggled in Turkey is going to have the same in Austin because exactly. it is just that tiny bit different. Yeah, uh, you'd focus. Don't make it. You could gain a lot by having a low downforce setup in Austin, for instance. Maybe in Turkey you could as well, but yeah, I don't know. You wouldn't risk it. It is it is different setup styles, and there's a lot of slow corners on uh, in Austin as well that you could also maximize a lot. But overall, it they are very similar. The last corner, for instance, just how the yeah. last corner, the first corner. Yeah. first two corners in fact yeah uh, and essentially you have you know one left-hander turn eight and then the other one is just right-hander carbon copies of True. each other it's just a bit smaller uh, as well so yeah yeah so those little differences but uh we'll see it's hamilton's he's strong here so i expect to see you know him doing his absolute best um uh, he's always he's always been strong in america yeah exactly. it doesn't matter where he's always been strong because that's yeah. his, his his natural home yeah, he gets a lot of good energy there. So it uh, will be interesting to see. Championship is getting, you know, there's less and less races now. And it could still go both ways. Like, it's it's. it's I think it's it feels like it feels like the the, um, the tension is increasing because, mm-hmm. you know, whoever has won DNF now and it's it's yeah. settled. Imagine it's Bottas settled. winning. I would be so cool to see Bottas winning the championship, like just at the very end. But uh, man can dream. Man can dream. Can you imagine can that? Dream. We're going to <laughs> we're going to have like a, a Damon Hill scenario. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, where he went to? Uh, did he go to the Arrows or did he go to the Jordan? We can have a good situation situation with Aston Martin and uh, Mercedes blocking up the stuff, and then Bottas becoming champion. Oh my God! Well, that's what Mercedes did. So uh, yeah, precisely. So we're going back to. Uh, America, mm-hmm. looking forward to it, and when that happens, uh, we shall return. And uh, in the meantime, doesn't matter if you're over there, over here, back in Denmark. Still, keep, keep watching, watching those ads. <laughs>